the hard shoulder on Newstalk with Nissan's big electric switch. Scrappage is now available on your old car when you switch to a 100% electric Nissan Leaf. You're very welcome back to the hard shoulder. Now, I'd like to introduce you to a new segment here on the show. It's called How to Photograph a dictator. Now, I know, I know, I know. But listen, bear with me, because dictators and despots and tyrants all over the world use and have used photography and their own image as a way to shape public perceptions about them. So think Putin topless on a horse or Paul Pot looking nice and humble as he's cutting corn with with peasant farmers. So these photos They are a window into the world of these rulers and how they rule. And our own Simon Tierney is going to help us navigate that world. And Simon, first up, the first person we're talking about is the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. And a photo taken in January 2013 of him in a hospital, visiting a hospital. Now, if people want to know and want to see the photo that we're talking about, it's up on our Twitter account, at The Hard Shoulder. It's up on my Instagram stories, at Cudahy Kieran. Uh, what's going on in the picture? Well, the first re- reason I chose this photograph, Kieran, is because it's immediately shocking to Western eyes. This isn't just a hospital. This is a children's hospital. And he's sitting in the middle, as he always is in any state uh, sanctioned photographs. He's surrounded by his cronies who all have little notebooks that they're scribbling into. This is classic for Kim Jong-un and the Kim dynasty in general, is that you have um, to be surrounded by sycophants at all times. And it means that this picture, this image that dictators use, imagery is power. And in order to maintain that power, you need to have a continuity of that imagery. And the idea that military top dogs, journalists, and in inverted commas, are surrounded by him scribbling into their book, that says that what this guy is saying is wise, that, it need, that he needs to be listened to. But the most shocking thing to Western eyes, of course, is that he's smoking a cigarette in a children's hospital. He is. In his defence, I never thought I'd say in his defence about Kim Jong-un, there's no children in the actual <laughs> shot, but yes, he's sitting on the bed of a children's ward uh, smoking a cigarette. It it does, it, it has commonalities, doesn't it, with lots of other photos you see of him, and that's the point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's part of the, the, the strongman image. That's what's really important with Kim Jong-un, is this idea that there are military top dogs around him at all times, scribbling down everything that he has to say. And when he came to power in 2011, he was a very yellow 28-year-old. He didn't belong to the origin myth of the nation of North Korea. His grandfather, Kim Il-sung, he had been a legitimate leader uh, and founder of the nation in the sense that he'd been a guerrilla fighter um, against the Japanese colonial powers in uh, Korea before World War II and Stalin installed him as a kind of a puppet leader um, in this new communist state. Uh, And Kim Jong-il, his son and then his grandson Kim Jong-un, they are children of great privilege in a very poor country and they don't have the same legitimacy that their grandfather had. So the strongman principle, the idea of establishing yourself as an aggressive uh, leader, uh, using your machismo to, sh- to, to display that is very, very important for a lot of dictators who don't have a really strong origin myth that, that you need. Um, so how do they do that? Um, well, first of all, 
we see it in the photograph um, and we see it in a lot of the photographs that he does is that he's surrounded by these military people. And as soon as he became leader, one of the first things that the government did was they sent this booklet to every unit of the North Korean army, which is one of the largest armies in the world, lest we forget. This is one of the nine nuclear powers. Um, and they, in this booklet, you have a lot of myths about Kim Jong-un establishing himself as some sort of military... Um, prodigy. So it says that from the age of eight, he was able to shoot a light bulb from 100 yards, that he was able to drive a truck going 80 miles per hour at the age of nine. This is typical of the sort of myth, myth, mythology that we have of, of the three leaders of North Korea. His father, for example, Kim Jong-il, he was said to have written uh, 1,500 books, uh, six operas, all of which were the greatest music ever written by any human. And he was also, even but more bizarrely, said to have scored 11 holes in one in North Korea's only golf course outside Pyongyang. He swiftly retired from golf so that his record could never be properly scrutinised, of course, Kieran. All right. Okay. I think we might have been broken in the old lack and pitch and putt. I can tell you that. Uh, so th- this photograph then, when... Kim comes to power, the, the the current Kim, Kim Jong-un comes to power. Because he doesn't have that origin myth, the, the fear, is that the fear amongst him and his, his his advisors is that questions will be going to be asked about him amongst the public. And they have to reinforce the idea that, you know, military top brass, civilian top brass, essentially the leaders of this country, they will hang on his every word. Absolutely. That's really, really important. The idea that anyone in the military who questions him will be disposed of. Even his uncle, um, Jong Sang-taek, who is the number two in North Korea, he was disposed of very quickly because of his reformist views. So there is a massive culture of fear and that's very necessary in any dictatorship that we're going to be looking at in this series. Um, One of the key things that he will do to, that he has done to establish his credentials as the unquestioned leader, um, as you say, Kieran, is his nuclear capabilities. Mm. And a lot of the photographs that we see coming out from the state media in North Korea will be him either doing Uh, tests of his nuclear missiles or in his nuclear bunker. And that tells the world, reminds the world that they are one of the nine nuclear powers in the world, despite the fact that they're one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, So there's a very famous photograph from 2012 where he is in the nuclear test centre, just him on his own, again smoking a cigarette, while he's just pressed the nuclear button to test one of his missiles. And this is a hilarious and terrifying photograph because you got this juxtaposition of the kind of the relaxing atmosphere of having a smoke but he's just launched a nuclear warhead and it brings to mind this kind of images of Blofeld like his his father was a huge fan of James Bond and I think that might have gone down to his son as well but the nuclear brinkmanship is a key policy and I think this is the best way to understand his relationship with Donald Trump and Donald Trump was played for a fool because the whole foreign policy of North Korea is based on the idea of nuclear brinkmanship Mm. brinkmanship sorry this idea that um, he's unpredictable that he can launch a nuclear weapon at any moment so he'll do a testing of rockets and then the world will hold his breath then he'll pull back before he gets to that point and then he can bargain with the international community with what he wants and that's a terrifying 
uh, foreign policy to have. Okay, so so these photographs then they they help to reinforce the the strong man image, both for the world at large and for his own people, probably primarily for his own people. The the other thing we associate with not just this Kim but the Kims and the dynasty grandfather uh, uh, down uh, to Kim Jong Un now is this cult of personality. And do we see evidence of that coming through in this and other photographs? Yeah, that's really important. Um, Photographs of Kim Jong-un are everywhere um, in North Korea. And we'll see that with so many of the dictators that we look at in this series, is that it's kind of the omnipresence of the dear leader is so important wherever you look. Um, the cult of personality, I mean, with the Kim dynasty, they're all almost deified in North Korea. Um, you know, the image of him as wearing the Mao suit is really important. And the Mao suit is something that a lot of communist leaders have adopted from uh, Chairman Mao, the Chinese dictator, who we might look at in the series as well. It's kind of this symbol of proletarian unity. It's very, very simple. Kim Jong-un wore it to his summit with Donald Trump to kind of draw that contrast between the Western men's suit and the communi- the simplicity of the communist Mao suit. He also, of course, um, has the, the famous haircut, which we, we have to comment on because yeah. it is, it's quite extraordinary. It really. certainly is. Uh, he clearly has a clippers. Uh, at home. Um, uh, But what he's doing is uh, when he, one of the first diktats that he issued when he became leader in 2011 was uh, what hairstyle you could have as a North Korean citizen. Um, Mm. And there are very few that you're allowed to have. And the reason for this is it's it's a theory called socialist hair. And it's supposed to draw a contrast between the, the kind of shabby uh, long hair that Western capitalist men are allowed to have. It's about keeping it neat and tidy. Um, but of course, there's a, also a huge amount of vanity involved in the way uh, Kim Jong-un keeps his hair because it's coiffed in a way which... Uh, you know, it's going to take quite a lot of time to achieve, I would imagine. Yeah, so so that, I suppose, adds to unique appearance, which feeds into the, the, the cult of personality. Those photos as well we see of him, you know, riding a white charger through the snowy mountains of North Classic. Korea yeah. really feeds into the, the cult of personality. I, I, I assume then, so that his own people and the world will fear him, he, he needs to convey a, a message of kind of being on the, the, the precipice of terror or violence uh, at all times. Yeah, that's really important. You hit the nail on the head there, Kieran, because it's about that unpredict- unpredictability that I mentioned before about his nuclear brinkmanship. He needs to be able to, he regularly, in fact, sends the message that he can have someone assassinated on international soil at any moment if he wants to. This is something that, of course, we see with uh, Putin as well um, over the last couple of years um, and hi- him inhabiting his kind of quasi-dictatorship in Russia. But the way Kim Jong-un does it, perhaps most famously, was in 2017. And you might remember this, Kieran. It was his half-brother, Kim Jong-nam. Now, he's an interesting character because he should he should be in Kim Jong-un's position. We should be talking about him today mm. because he was the eldest son of Kim, Kim Jong-il, the last leader of North Korea. But he fell out of favour 
uh, and I won't go into the reasons why because it's a long story, but he represented a threat to Kim Jong-un because he was trash-talking the idea of hereditary succession a few years ago and he was living a fairly Western lifestyle and all the rest. They employed a very elaborate, nefarious operation to have him assassinated and that was to uh, dupe two young women um, in Malaysia into believing that they were participating in a YouTube prank. They groomed them over several months doing this using Johnson's hand cream where they would go up behind someone, put their hands on their eyes and then it was a hilarious joke that they filmed or at least that was the idea. In 2017 they did this again but they said in Kuala Lumpur airport today is a very important day we're going to have a lot of viewers for this YouTube video you need to get it right and they put VX nerve agent on their hands and told them to do the prank. This is categorised by the United United Nations as one of the most powerful poisons in the world and they did it and he died within an hour. Yeah, it looks, and it is all fascinating. And we could spend another hour talking about him. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I'm already looking forward to, to next week's instalment. I think Nikolai Ceausescu, the former Romanian leader, is on the agenda. Simon Tierney, thanks a million for putting all of that together. Music.